today we have with us uh, Joaquin Reina, sorry, just letting people in. Um, and he is gonna be discussing um, how he and his team at La Jolla Institute were became the 2021 D Challenge winners. Um, the title of his talk is Exploring the Genetics of Type 1 Diabetes Through GWAS, EQ, TLs, Chromatin Looping, and the 2021 D Challenge. Welcome, Joaquin. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, it's going to be really interesting to uh, myself and the audience um, to have you walk us through, you know, how your team kind of um, learned more about uh, mining data and moving through data uh, using the DKNet uh, resource and others, um, and and really, um, you know, arrived at a novel hypothesis. Yeah, thank you, Monica. Um, as you said, uh, there's lots of work that goes into this, and I've given some of the slides you may have seen before, but hopefully today I will have, usually we only have 10 minutes uh, to present. So today we can kind of go a little bit slower and kind of give you the walkthrough of how we actually approached it. So, all right. So as Monica said, my name is Joaquin Reina. I work at the La Jolla Institute of Immunology with the uh, iLab um, over in uh, San Diego, California. I'm also a PhD student at UC San Diego. And I'm glad to be giving you guys today uh, this presentation as part of Ask an Expert. Um, I'll be showing you how we explore the genetics of type 1 diabetes through GWAS, EQTL, chromatin looping, and the, D, uh, the 2021 D challenge as well. So we definitely had, um, it's interesting to kind of think about how we approach this challenge. And so uh, one thing that I wanted to do is uh, bring up, you know, the main message that uh, the D challenge actually gives us, which is, the D-Challenge is a community research challenge designed to increase awareness and the use of rich ecosystems of online tools and data find, uh, findable through DKNet. So um, just with this one sentence, we're already getting this idea that there's a lot of information out there that we need to find out. First, we have to know that it even exists. And after that, we have to uh, find ways to integrate it. And so that's really where the second part comes in. And um, and really the fun part for us, I thought, as the contestants, is to develop a compelling hypothesis about the biology, treatment, the sequelae of type 1 diabetes. And so for this, you really have to come up with, um, you know, based on your field, uh, think about what sort of problems have you found? What sort of ideas have you found that could have potential cures for type 1 diabetes? And so when we were approaching this, um, these are, we had a few questions that we wanted to answer. Um, so of course you start by saying, what is the cause of type one diabetes? We're a genetics lab. So the first kind of questions we had were, is there some type of genetic predisposition or disease variants that we can um, try to target and find out what they're doing? Um, after you know the variants, you definitely want to find out uh, what are the genes that are connected to the, these variants why are they playing a role? After this, you definitely want to find as well, what are the relevant cell types? Because some genes are only going to be activated in some cells and not in others. So it's very important to try to get at this question. Um, and in addition, there's also particular disease conditions. Um, some, some types of uh, diabetes are actually caused by uh, monogenic reasons, but some are caused by polygenic reasons. And so we really want to, you really need to know what is behind uh, the scenes. Maybe there's also other things as well as like virus uh, infections and, and other things. And lastly, this one we didn't quite cover in our D challenge, but it's definitely something to think about is are there relevant drugs uh, that 
have been developed but haven't applied been applied to type 1 diabetes those are all types of things that you can really think about for the d challenge and and some of the things that we thought about as well so you really have to ask yourself what biology do you believe will help uh, type 1 diabetes and um, to really help answer these questions i think it really is helpful to rely on your expertise and then from there try to branch out um, and, and find uh, what what data um, could be added on top. And so in the iLab, we actually specialize in chromatin structure. Um, this is our uh, lab PI, Dr. Farhat I. For many years, he's been working on uh, statistical tools, different types of tools to analyze the chromatin structure and then connect it to different types of diseases like cancer, type 1 diabetes, uh, and many others. And just as a quick overview for those maybe who haven't uh, really uh, covered chromatin structure, here we have a piece of DNA. It's actually really, really long for each uh, cell. We have 3 billion nucleotides. Somehow those have to be organized. Eventually, DNA will be wrapped around nucleosomes. These nucleosomes can be either closed or separate, and they'll form these uh, tighter structures over here until eventually forming a chromosome. And these different levels of chromatin structure can be analyzed to try to understand is there a connection with disease. And our lab and other labs have found a connection um, with these different levels to disease. And so we really wanted to see, is there something that type of, is type one diabetes being affected by this type of, um, the change in these structures? One thing that we wanted to, we thought about as we were approaching this question from the genetics point of view is, you know, we, we said, what kind of cell types are relevant? Well, if you think about uh, type one diabetes, uh, beta cells are being destroyed, or at the same time, you could think there's some kind of genetic predisposition that kind of uh, will influence beta cells and cause them to kind of, uh, to maybe not as function as, as efficiently as needed. Uh, in addition, it could be that the immune system is actually uh, targeting um, these beta cells through uh, autoimmune type of signaling. And because we are at the La Jolla Institute of Immunology, and as I said earlier, sometimes we kind of want to try to uh, focus on our strengths. Uh, we really wanted to focus on, on the latter case. And so our main goal was to find genetic variation and gene expression changes, which are strongly associated with type 1D in, in immune cells. And so I think uh, I really wanted to make these slides because um, this is the timeline that we had for the 2021D challenge. Um, and I'm not sure, is it still two months or is it three months for the... Yeah, you have to, teams have to register by September 1. The kickoff is September 8th. There's a series of boot camps that go September through end of October. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then this, the, the final submission is going to be on um, November 30th. And then we have like early December judging um, the, the finalists, the four finalists will have an audience with the JDRF T1D fund to sort of pitch their um, process. Mm -hmm. and get feedback from the T1D fund. And then they, you know, present to judges. And then we, um, oh, you know, uh, then they then they gain the awards. The final um, live pitches will be December 13th and the award ceremony on December 15th. Okay. So it's kind of like a September to December situation. Okay, so about the same like two months uh, that we had then, you would say, except yeah. with the boot camp. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, so, and we're inviting, uh, we also have a novice track this year. So those, um, you know, um, uh, clinical, those in clinical rotations, MDs, um, 
everyone is really invited to try to um, go through the boot camps, learn more, and you know participate. Yeah, yeah, uh, and um, yeah. So I really hope like this. This is for the twenty twenty one contest timeline, but I think hopefully it still helps people to kind of get an idea of kind of uh, the speed of things. Yeah, it's um, great. So we had two months from October to December. We started working on this RNA-seq data set, but we didn't find too many interesting results. So we said, you know, let's think about something else. And that's the, the I guess, the beauty of, um, of this contest is that it is about developing a hypothesis and it is open. It has a, a it's very open. So you can kind of uh, look for another uh, idea. And that's what we did. And by like mid-November, we decided we really wanted to focus on GWAS variants and EQTL data. I'll cover that more later for those of you who uh, are not too familiar with those analyses and data sets. And after that, we integrated our comments and data. And finally, around mid-November, we found our important genes and regulatory variants that we we're interested in. And uh, in December, we by December, we prepared all of our material, all of our presentations, turned in the project. And then um, uh, we did the interview with the JDR December 9th. And then the very next day, we did the finals presentation. So it is kind of a compact timeline. You have two months to really get your idea um, put together, to really think what is the thing that I want to deliver. Uh, for our case, since we were studying genetics and genes, we really wanted to find a pair of uh, a genetic variants and a gene that we could present to, um, to, to, to do as our final presentation as a deliverable. Um, and especially this final uh, time here between uh, December 9th and 10th, uh, you, you get your interview, you have that one day to get everything ready. I think it was a great experience. It seems like a little bit of time, but um, we really, uh, it, it really pushes you to work hard and to focus. And so um, I think people shouldn't be afraid of this timeline. It's really, really, um, really pushes you to do some good work. So I really enjoyed it. That's great to hear. Yeah. And so my advice is be fast, <laughs> um, focus on your strengths and then pick up ideas through the weekly meetings. There's lots of ideas that are being given to us, lots of uh, different material that's presented um, and the DKNet will facilitate finding your um, data sets. Um, a lot of our data sets we could actually find through there um, and also uh, some lab specific data sets, but uh, um, there's a lot of data sets that you do find through DKNet. And we also had our Slack stream going with all the participants on it and kind of just, you know, going back with Q&A and sharing ideas on that Slack stream, which I thought was really fun. Yeah, I thought that was really, really nice, um, especially the, the papers. There are so many papers that, um, that I ended up, that I would take a look at. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, we sprinkled some papers, uh, breadcrumb papers throughout for you guys to <laughs> enjoy. With that, um, I hope, does that, do you think it gives a clear idea of like how we approach this? Or if you have any questions, I, I would love to take questions between slides if, if you guys have any questions. Nothing yet, so you can keep going. Okay, so for those of you uh, who have already seen this, uh, you, you might've seen this presentation. For those of you who are new, who are considering uh, joining this competition, I kind of, I wanna show you what we did and, and walk you through, through that. So, as I mentioned earlier, our lab is really interested in chromatin structure and also genetics. So, uh, and we knew that type 1 diabetes does have strong genetic co uh, contributions as well as epigenetic. So 
um, to kind of go through it slowly, genetics is the study of different variations of DNA. So here, for example, we have a healthy individual and a diseased individual. If we then look at their DNA and we're able to read it, we can see that th at this location here where there's this blue um, rectangle, there's uh, an A allele for the healthy individual and a G allele for the diseased, diseased individual. And so this would be a single nucleotide polymorphism, but there's other types of um, variations such so as copy number alterations, structural variations, and so on. But DNA is not acting by itself. It does code for the genes, but those genes need to be regulated in some way. And that's where we can bring in epigenetic information. This would be any type of information that um, is some type of modification to DNA, some type of structural information about DNA. So here, for example, we're seeing uh, in gray is this DNA segment that's kind of twisting around. Uh, we see this enhancer right here is connected to a promoter. And in addition to this particular chromatin loop forming here, we also see lots of what would look like uh, molecular modifications, methylation, uh, proteins that are binding to the DNA, as well as RNA binding proteins. So there's a lot going on, and there must be something going on that's related to type 1 diabetes. So how is genetics and epigenetics contributing to type 1 diabetes? Well, to look at this, we really wanted to use some of the uh, largest data sets and most important data sets uh, for our field, which is um, the first of which is this genome-wide association study, as you saw earlier. You saw that there's a healthy individual and a diseased individual, and they have a different SNP at this location. We can actually take this SNP and try to and do an association analysis to find out whether that SNP can be said to be associated with the disease. And so here we're picturing a SNP with this bar here and a star, signifying that it's uh, significant for, let's say, for example, type 1 diabetes. And it actually turns out that these SNPs are actually falling, not falling in, in genes too often. Um, they're actually falling in non-coding regions 90% of the time. And so um, these SNPs must be doing some type of uh, regulation of gene expression. Uh, um, and so one of the other important data sets to add on top of this is known as expression quantitative trait loci or EQTL for short. And so this, uh, the analysis for this is very, very similar. You're looking at a SNP, you're seeing uh, whether, how present it is in an individual. If an individual has, for example, this GG, maybe the downstream gene expression is low. If they have an A allele, this A allele is increasing expression of the gene. So you get a much higher expression. And lastly, if you have two A's, you see that this uh, both are going to express highly. And so there's something really particular about the SNP. And if they're overlapping a GOS variant, even better. And so now we know that there's these two connections between disease and gene expression. But what about some type of physical link that can really tell us that this is really happening? Well, that's where we wanted to add in chromatin structure. As we saw before, an enhancer can be brought together to a promoter. And that would be similar, that would be very similar here where SNP is brought together with the E gene or this gene over here. And so to kind of walk you through, here we have the SNP, here we have the T allele. When we have the T allele, a loop is forming, uh, whereas if we have the C allele, a loop is not forming. So if we're able to find cases where a SNP is linked over to a gene, we might be bringing together a whole bunch of genetic uh, elements together that are able to increase gene expression. And overall, we name these SNP gene pairs with loops or SGLs. So in order to be, um, so overall, the analytical goal was to integrate these data sets to find, the novel, to find novel target genes and SNPs. 
And so to be able to do this, we have to kind of go through and find important data sets. Um, we we're able to find this GWAS catalog, which is um, very, very nice. It's able to, they standardize a whole bunch of uh, genetic association data. And so we found this very large uh, data set uh, uh, from True et al. in 2021, which includes uh, 18,000 or nine, about 19,000 type one diabetes patients. This is a very powerful data set. Um, and this GWAS catalog, you can actually find it through the uh, DKNet. We also looked for immune cell EQTL data where we found this research paper. Um, and they actually use two different uh, databases that have immune cells. Uh, the first has monocytes, neutrophils, and T cells. And the second database is called DICE and includes lots of T cells uh, and other immune cells. And lastly, we wanted to include that chromatin looping information. Um, for the longest time, people have been using Hi-C, but these methods have been de developing more and more. And recently, uh, this method called uh, HCK uh, high chip has been made, where we can actually find interactions between two regions that are really, really active. Um, so that's really powerful if we're able to find SGLs with, with this integrated data set. And so how do we actually integrate these data sets? There's lots of ways of going about it. The way that we uh, came up with is to actually use a co-localization analysis between GWAS and immune cell EQTLs. Um, again, what we're, what, what we're trying to find is a SNP connected to a gene, and um, we're able to prove that there's a high probability that the SNP is associated with type 1 diabetes and with expression of a downstream gene at the same exact time. And so this colocalization analysis gives us this information. If we then intersect uh, with uh, high chip data, we're able to form these SGLs. And as you might imagine, we were able to find a whole list of SNP gene pairs. And uh, we started by kind of, okay, let's focus on the genes that we think are important. We found lots of genes that were previously studied in literature, but uh, you know, as, as something to bring forward to the G challenge, we're really asking for a hypothesis, something new that could be targetable um, and could be researched. So we were really interested in studying this long non-coding RNA. It's called AP003774.1. Um, it's expressed, these are different uh, immune cell types. It's actually expressed body, uh, moderately uh, across a lot of our immune cell types. It's actually pretty normal for uh, long non-coding RNAs to not be expressed hugely, but their effects can be um, still seen. And so, uh, uh, once we've, we located this gene that we were interested in, we actually uh, then used what is known as the uh, epigenome browser. Um, it's really nice. You can, um, he here's the genome with uh, the genes that are around. You can add annotations. So we added annotations for our gene and also for the downstream, downstream SNP that it was connected to. We also added, um, we wanted to know uh, different parts of the genome are active or have different states at different times. Um, you can actually get this data from what is known as ChromeHMM analyses. Oncode has provided lots of these data sets, um, which are easily available through the epigenome browser. Um, and so we were able to find these types of data sets for natural killer cells, classical monocytes, and naive B cells. So interestingly for this gene, we found that it sat right in this region where there's some marker uh, transcription um, uh, for active transcription in green. And if we look uh, look downstream, we could find our SNP. 
And it turns out that this pair is actually located within uh, this loop of three different cells. So this is very interesting. Um, and again, could suggest that there's some sort of like uh, bringing together of genetic elements to kind of to increase expression of this um, long non-coding RNA. And on top of that, if we kind of now we 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 first started by digging into the gene. Well, now let's start digging into the SNP. Well, if we look uh, at the SNP, we kind of look down at the chrome HMM annotations. We say that it's actually um, coming up with lots of transcription sites. Uh, in uh, transcription site signals, as well as being close to enhancer type signals. Um, so this is very promising for us. And so we went and dug a little bit deeper. And what we could find is uh, this database of transcription factor binding sites. And we found that this SNP is actually hitting two different transcription factor binding sites for zinc finger 3.1 and SOX12. And if we look at exactly what nucleotide is being hit by this mutation, Normally, uh, you would have a C allele, but with the SNP, you'll have a T. And so you can see here, the SNP, uh, the, the higher this letter, the more conserved. And so if you, if you were to change this uh, C, you would have a drastic effect on the binding of the transcription factor, which would then go affect a transcription of the long non-coding RNA. And similar story for SOX12 with an even higher um, conservation of the C, um, uh, the C nucleotide. So with that, we really uh, honed in on this long non-coding RNA and presented it for our D-Challenge uh, presentation. And so for those of you who are uh, wondering, like, uh, uh, you know, what, what did we get from participating in the D-Challenge? I think um, it was a really fun experience, uh, first off. And then from that, um, the, uh, being able to use DKNet and trying to find all the T1D-related resources is really, really great because there are a lot of resources that are scattered across the internet. Uh, and this is a great way to pull them all together. Um, we really were able to kind of appreciate the complexity of type one diabetes to study it through these different immune cells. And we really had the, the chance to, in, to find these new integrative methods um, to be able to use um, for type one diabetes and other, uh, other diseases as well. And so, I think we really benefited from uh, participating in the D-Challenge. And we, on top of uh, participating in the D-Challenge, we actually, for those of you who are kind of on the ropes, uh, you really do push really hard. You push your projects really hard and get them to a really nice stage that you want to continue them. That's exactly what we did. And so we went on to expand our data sets, our prioritization star, uh, strategies, and to go on to find out target genes. So here's a brief overview to just show you um, uh, of what's possible even after the D-Challenge. So again, we went back to the GWAS catalog. Um, they have not just this uh, first GWAS data set that we used, but three others. There's a few others, but um, these are the ones that have summary statistics. So we're able to include these. Uh, we also found these immune cell EQTLs, which initially we had only found uh, data for this DICE and blueprints. But now there's many more that we're including. And lastly, we still have the same HDK27 acetylation high chip. So with this, uh, I showed you, first of all, that we use this GWAS EQTL colocalization with an intersect for loops, um, which is a really nice method. But we thought, you know, uh, we also want to find additional target genes that might be missed by this method. Um, so we ended up uh, looking into using what is known as fine mapping. 
where you can take your GWAS summary statistics, assign a probability that a SNP is causal, and then use that probability to kind of filter what SNPs you want to focus on. And then we would intersect with loops. And finally, we use this uh, third um, uh, way, which again, I want to emphasize, like in our lab, we focus on chromatin uh, structure. And so PyQTLs is actually an idea that we developed here in the lab where you're able to use uh, chromatin interactions to kind of prioritize PyQTLs, and then we intersect them with GWAS SNPs. Um, and then again, we're able to find uh, important SNP gene targets. Uh, and this is very important because studies have shown that uh, not uh, one single method is not enough to capture um, everything that, that could happen. And so with that, here's a small um, overview of what we've done. So um, initially, we had only found about uh, 11 target genes with this co-localization and loops. But by adding these two other methods, we've been able to add uh, a, a lot more genes. What's interesting is that you find that these genes are not actually overlapping with one another, which to us really means that you definitely have to use these different methods um, to find things that are missing between one or the other. If we then take a union of these genes and then look for only protein coding, we find 109 of them. Uh, we wanted to kind of find out, how, are these genes highly studied or understudied? And so for that, we created this consensus gene set from these different databases and papers. We found 497 genes that have been associated at some point with type 1 diabetes. And if we uh, intersect these two, what we'll find are uh, those that are, in, that are intersected between these two, we would call highly studied and the remainder would be called understudied. So you guys kind of identified a white space there. A place, exactly. yeah, a place for inquiry. Yeah, yeah, it, I thought this, uh, uh, there's lots of databases um, that, that try to connect. Uh, to, you read a lot of papers where they say, this gene is the cause, that is gene is the cause, that gene is the cause. Uh, but it's really important to try to find, you know, a, a, a consensus gene set that you can use. So I think this is, a, this is really interesting. And I really hope that um, some of these genes come up and, and are studied in the future. We did this co-enrichment analysis with the highly studied, and as expected, uh, type 1 diabetes is coming really, really high with lots of autoimmune and other types of immune signals coming up. We did the same for understudied. And again, like as you mentioned, Monica, there is a, some white space here because what you see coming up first off is lupus, which again is related to, uh, um, to the immune system. But type 1 diabetes is coming a little bit lower which kind of is suggesting that it has, these genes really haven't been studied for type 1 diabetes. It'd be interesting, you know, once they're studied and new terms are added for these genes under type 1 diabetes, will these kind of pop up, um, uh, push, push, push these genes to come up as type 1 diabetes associated. So we're really excited about these results and hopefully we hope to publish these soon. And so, Really, um, we had, we've had lots of opportunities by participating in the 2021 D challenge and post 2021 D challenge. Um, and so uh, I don't wanna go through every point. There's a lot of words, but I just wanna like emphasize, uh, I, I'm a PhD student and um, I actually, uh, this has really helped me with my thesis. And so it, it was time well spent. And I think you'll, everyone will find it time well spent, especially for those who were, want to try to find new ideas um, uh, to tackle in the lab.
That's uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for um, presenting all this, Joaquin. It's really great to yeah, hear you. that, um, you know, to hear from you uh, uh, how how this impacted you and, you know, how it informed your group. And, and I would also just say that the Michigan group was totally very interdisciplinary. They were not focused on type one at all. They brought their own paradigm to it. And, um, uh, you know, Florida, you Florida is definitely focused, that group was definitely focused on type one, but they also came up with some novel and interesting findings. And finally, the the uh, four science team, which was, you know, Stanford, UCSF, uh, Musk, and Harvard, those guys, you know, were really interested, the way they put that together too. I mean, it was very, it was very innovative. And I, I credit um, the team members for pulling this all together. I would also say that you know, Neil McKenna, who was involved with um, creating a consensum in the beginning, he basically used the 2016 teplizumab study, a paper in science immunology, to help validate a meta-analysis of, of the transcriptomic uh, data sets um, involved in, you know, the PBMCs in type 1 diabetes. And they unexpectedly identified a common CD56 DIM uh, slash uh, CD57 plus um, NK uh, cell-centric mechanism connecting T1D and MISC, which is multi-inflammatory system in children. That paper just um, came out in uh, iScience and he talked about it with us yesterday. And that is, so there's some some, some tangible papers coming out of the D-Challenge as well. And, and um, I really am excited about uh, what's going to happen in D-Challenge 22, 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really interested to see what kind of uh, data sets people will bring to the table in the future. Uh, this is just the one last slide. There's, I won't go through it, but there's lots of uh, data repositories to use. Um, so, and, and, and I've checked uh, uh, Dr. McKenna's uh, website for uh, the SVP and it's really, really nice. And yeah, just, Signaling really Pathways useful. Project, uh, another another uh, pitch for, for Neil McKenna, uh, who is located in Baylor Medicine. Um, let me see the last slide of the whole group. Wonderful. <laughs> so I acknowledge this, thank the lab, and, and I think the sugar science, thanks Monica and everyone. So. Oh yeah, it was really a pleasure for, all, for my team. Um, and thank you again, Joaquin. This was great, really enjoyed it. And um, we will share this with everyone else um, in our audience. We are now reaching an audience of 30,000. So we're happy about that. Wow. And we, um, we hope to uh, encourage, and your presentation I'm sure will encourage others to, to, to try it. You have nothing to lose, <laughs> so. Yeah, thanks Monica. It's always a pleasure to help you guys with, uh, with anything, so. Always a pleasure to speak with you and uh, please uh, give our regards to everyone in the lab. Stay safe and talk to you later. Bye-bye.